thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we're going to talk about redemption. Whether you've done what could be considered the most unforgivable thing on the planet, or you just feel less than today, this episode is for you. Hope Carpenter is co-pastor of one of the nation's largest megachurches. She had perfected the roles of supportive wife, good mother, devoted worship leader, and even a homemaker. But inside, she was secretly afraid and full of shame and sadness. With time, a series of bad choices led to multiple affairs. Her husband kicked her out and announced to the church that the marriage was over. But God wasn't done, and neither was their marriage. Here's my interview with Miss Hope Carpenter. Hope, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for opening up your platform so that we can give God some glory today. Amen. And like we stated in the intro, you know, nobody's safe from bad decisions in their life. No. Things happen. No. They, like decisions are made and there are consequences, but there's also redemption. And that's what we're here to yes. talk about today. Right. So like right off the bat, I really just want to talk about how is California treating a Southern girl like you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you cannot beat California weather. Yeah, I mean, it is just the best in the United States to me, it's just so dreamy and, and comfortable and so many beautiful places to go. So we, we kind of feel like, you know, we're, we're the Lord's favorite couple right now. <laughs> we get to be on the East Coast some of the month and then on the West Coast some of the month and just get to see the amazing work that God's doing on both sides of the United States. So it is just an honor and a privilege to get to serve the Lord like this. Yeah. And you're not even stopping your ministry in South Carolina and California. You do ministry all over the world. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Well, you know, it takes a lot of vitamins yep. <laughs> and good discipline <laughs> and, and not as much chocolate as I would like <laughs> to slow me down. But, uh, you know, I, sometimes we look at each other and we think, how in the world are we doing this? You know, just jet lag alone. Um, but you know, the Bible says we're graced for the day we're in. So he's asked us to do it. And we said, yes. And yeah, we get tired. Uh, we get jet lagged, but you know, we know the mandate and the call. So we just keep trucking along. Yeah. And in the intro, we touched a little bit on your book, uh, the story behind it, the most beautiful disaster. But before we dive into that story that you're mapping out there, where did this whole journey begin for you? I'd really just like to open up the floor for you to share your story leading up to uh, the things that transpired that you map out in your book, but your childhood, everything that led you up to become the woman you are today. Right. Um, I'm very grateful. I really am. You know, nobody's raised in a perfect home. Nobody. We Because there's no perfect people. We cannot have a perfect home because we're, we're sinful people. We have brokenness. We all have, you know, things that we're not proud of, imperfections. And, but I am so grateful for being raised in a home um, that took me to church and really pushed me to be the best that I could be. Um, I tell people jokingly today, I say, but the home I was raised in, you'd go to jail today for disciplining your kids the way that I was disciplined. But um, they did the best they could, honestly, with the knowledge they had. Uh, their parents uh, were broken people. And my dad would even tell that, you know, his dad was beat with chains. 
So, you know, just a lot of abuse and anger. And and I was raised in that, although it was a Christian home, but it was perfectionism. It was uh, works. You know, you have to just, you know, you get saved by grace, but you stay saved by works. You know, (laughs) that's kind of the thought pattern that, you know, you got to be perfect and you got to do all this right. You can never sin or stub your toe or say a cuss word or you're going straight to hell. And so everything was just so uh, anxiety ridden to be perfect. And, you know, all of us know nobody is that, especially little kids. So you're raised in a home as a kid where you do get in trouble. And if you're raised in a home that was very like strict and harsh discipline, you know, that sets up patterns in children uh, to lie because you lie. So you don't get that harsh punishment. But, you know, nobody talked about this years ago. I'm old. You're young. I'm I'm in my 50s. But nobody talked about mental health back then. You just beat your kids and nobody talked about ADD or ADHD or anxiety disorders or any of that stuff. You just beat your kids and you line up. But it affects us. You know, what we've learned now is how much trauma affects you as a child and how it carries over into your adulthood. And, you know, we really think that, you know, we leave our home, we change our last name, we change our address, everything's different, but that's not true. And and I really believe that every adult problem is an unresolved child problem. I was also raped when I was 15 years old. And because of the harsh punishment in my home, I surely couldn't go home and tell my parents because it would be my fault. And I, I didn't even know how to process any of that at 15 years old. I describe it fully in the book. But um, so I stuffed all that down. And then I met my now husband when I was 18 years old. And and I thought I'd just died and gone to heaven. He was the most gorgeous thing I'd ever seen. He loved the Lord. I mean, who could get that combo, you know? And I remember my mom telling me as a little girl, she said, Hope, one day you're going to marry a preacher. And I said, I ain't marrying a fat, ugly preacher. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that's all I knew. But uh, when I came home and told her I'd met Ron and we'd fallen in love, she said, I told you you were going to marry a preacher. I said, well, he ain't fat and he ain't ugly. He's not so, your typical South Carolina preacher back in the day, right? <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. We knew we were different from the get-go. Um, but we had the privilege in Bible college to travel around. I was a music major and he was in the seminary program to travel around in in, um, a singing group to churches all over the United States. And we were both from very small, little church, traditional churches. And so when we started traveling and seeing all these different churches and these, you know, people who could actually pay their light bill without doing a fundraiser for 12 years, and, you know, the thermometer thing, you know, that's how we were raised. And we literally, we would have conversations and say, you know, somebody's lied to us. God is bigger than what we've been told. You know, God, God is just so much bigger in in the moves of God that we saw. And so we knew we wanted to do something different. We we were not going to be in that little cookie cutter traditional church that we'd been brought up in. Thank God for it. It taught me the word. I got saved there. I'm grateful for my heritage. Love them so much, still support them. But when we got married, 
I thought that all of that was just going to go away and we were going to tiptoe into our beautiful life. Years went on. We started having children. We, we did not have any insurance. We started our church with nothing, Trevor. I mean, nothing. We had shower curtains on the wall. Wow. to cover up the loading dock and, plas- and those plastic folding chairs. And I would play the piano and Ron would play the drums. He'd jump off the drums and go take up the offering. And I'd jump off the piano and go do children's church. I mean, we did it all. So we started having children, no insurance. I tell people my oldest son, who is now 28 years old, um, we finally paid him off when he turned seven. Ah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it was a tough road and uh, the pressure started mount, you know, just surfacing in me. And I was like, man, I I have a great life. I have a great husband. Church is growing. Why do I feel like I feel? And so that just started really messing with my head because in the natural, I didn't live in those old circumstances anymore. I have a great husband who loves me, a church that's thriving and growing, you know, not to mega church standards, but it was great, you know, just growing little by little, great families. We could actually pay our bills now, but I f- I'm feeling this anxiety and pressure. And it, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And about 35 years old, I woke up one day and I said, I cannot do this another day. Of course, I never ex- explained those things to my husband along the way because when you're raised in a dysfunctional home that you have the don't talk rule, you know, you don't talk, you don't feel, and you don't rock the boat. I surely would not have said any of those things to my husband because that would have panicked him. Didn't want to cause any conflict, rock any boats uh, because we keep the peace at all costs. Remember to not get in trouble. So everything had just been stuffed for many, many years. And, And I really think it's not documented, but I think I had an emotional breakdown at 35. And I remember I tell this story and people giggle, but I did the unpardonable. I left church that day and I went and bought a six pack of beer. Ooh, and I bought a bikini bathing suit. Oh, going straight to hell, right? And three secular CDs. And those things were not a part of my world at all. Okay. That's a spring break starter so, kit right there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> right. But you but after much counseling now that I've been through, those are the things that should be happening at your in your life at spring break. That was yeah. never allowed to happen in my life. And there's a term for that called individuation. And I was never allowed to do that. I was never allowed to touch my fingers to the stove, so to speak, and burn them and learn a lesson. So you were too Um, guarded, really? Really, yes. I was told what to wear, what I couldn't wear, where I could go, couldn't go, could date, could not date. Um, Really, I was was a freshman in college and had a curfew of 11 o'clock, you know, just very tight reins. And so I started doing the things in my 30s that people – are normally supposed to do in their teenage years. And shockingly, it felt so good to me to be able to make my own choice. And I describe it as, you know, you take a rubber band and you hold it and pull it back and pull it back and pull it back. But when you eventually let it go, it overshoots. And that's what I had done. I started doing and 
Now, nobody wakes up one day, Trevor, and says, I think I'm going to be a drug addict or I think I'm going to go have an affair today. Nobody does that. It's just a series of of bad decisions and being in the wrong place, the wrong time. Somebody stroking a need on the inside of you, you know, so that's what happened. So nine years of that. Can you imagine nine years of trying to present perfect? in the church, be the still be the good wife, still be the good mom, never miss any of the ball practices or the dance recitals or help with the school programs, always be present at church, but still having that double life going on. So I thought I was letting the steam off, but actuality, I was putting more pressure on me because the truth is I love Jesus yeah. the whole time. I loved him with all my heart and I loved my husband. I just did not know who hope was. And I had a lot of brokenness from childhood, from adolescence, from teenage years that never got resolved. And, you know, the old the old adage, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And mm-hmm. I was just a broken hearted girl and didn't know where to go because surely you don't raise your hand in church and admit all those things. You Especially know, we got perfect. Yeah, because we got to be perfect. Uh and people don't say that to you in leadership, but you feel that pressure. And and truly, the Bible gives major guidelines of what leadership's supposed to be. So when you know you're broken, you know what the guidelines are, and you know you love Jesus, man, there's a huge gap there. So you get on that treadmill to perform, and nobody can do that for long. Yeah. And so nine years of the infidelity and such. How did you keep that a secret from your family for that long? Well, my husband suspected we would we would argue, you know, I'd always want to go away with my friends, my girlfriends that I had had uh, met and become friends with. And and at the time, you know, I thought they were really, really close friends, but it was just codependent relationships, you know, like spirits come together and we're all licking our wounds and talking about how bad we've had it and. You know, it just comforts you temporarily. And so it it was just a tough, tough, hard time. And uh, my husband was like, where is my wife? And and my thing was, maybe she wasn't the real me. Maybe this is the real me. Because it felt right at the time. Because I was experiencing something out of season, but I was supposed to be experiencing So the devil played a big, big deal in my head and would lie to me and tell me, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is where you need to be and not over here. They judge you. Of course, he's going to come and tell you all the horrible things about the church and the church people and how they're judgmental to lure you away to continue in your life of sin and brokenness. But in 2013, it had just reached a pinnacle and I came to Ron and he had suspected we had fought about it. And I finally just knew I couldn't live like this anymore. And I said, I told him everything. And I thought he's going to wrap his arms around me and say, man, we're going to get through this. And he said, you got 30 minutes, get your stuff and get out. And he said, I've lived like this too long. He said, I love you so much. He said, but loving you is too painful. And he said, 
you know, I have to steward the ministry. I have to steward my family. Um, and you need to just leave. You need to go figure out your life. And, you know, that was one of the saddest days of my life, Trevor, because we had come out of so much and to the world standards. And, you know, I, I, I jokingly call it the Christian celebrity cult, you know, <laughs> that, you know, in, yep. in that standard that, you know, I, I drove out of my house in a Range Rover in Louis Vuitton luggage, but I had nobody to call. Mm. You know, the things don't matter. You know, things just don't matter. And um, tough lessons, tough lessons, you know, what the what the world and sometimes even the church views as success is not success at all. And I remember going down the road and and I said, where can I go? What can I do? And I remembered this ministry that we sent the other crazy people to the other broken people, you know, the island of broken people. Uh, In actuality, we're all broken. We mm-hmm. all need Jesus. And so I called him and I said, you know, I, I, I told him what had happened. I said, I just need a place to sleep. And they said, come on. Absolutely. Listen, a slice of heaven. This place is it's called Living Waters Ministry in Hidden Night, North Carolina. And I lived there for nine years. I mean, not nine years, nine months. Wow. Nine months. And um, I was so broken. And that's where the book came came to be the title of the book is because to the world standards and even the church's standards, it was the most horrible thing, you know, that could happen. But to me, that's where I really, really met Jesus. And that's where I could cry. I cry about it all the time talking about it, that he met me so real. When I literally was on the rock bottom and had nothing and just had a some money in my pocketbook. The credit card was frozen. The bank account was frozen. I was fired. I got no more salary. I'm not on the church founding papers anymore. I have no insurance. I have nothing. They took my phone. Ron took my car after I got up there. And I mean, literally, it was me and Jesus. But it was the sweetest, sweetest encounter I have ever had. And he literally transformed my life. One hurt at a time. I tell people healing's kind of like peeling back an onion and you just, it's not a one and done. You know, it's not a, let's go to a weekend and to a retreat and get healed and everybody's better. No, it was a long, hard, grueling, embarrassing, shameful, hard work process but I would not take a zillion dollars for it. What was it like in your mind when everything became public? I'm sure your mental health, to a certain extent, you were challenged a lot. Was there ever oh, yeah. any thought of like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Like this is most, yeah. em- it's the most embarrassing thing that you can think of publicly. Right. Um, when people hear, oh, she cheated on her husband. I'm sure like without all the full context and the full right. story, people don't understand that. Not that we're defending what happened, but no. it it didn't just start with like you. Right, said, I'm going right. to be a drug addict today. I'm going to do this. Right. Get my spring break starter kit, and I'm going to go yeah. to the beach and attract some men. No, it didn't start like that. There's always a why. You were raped at 15. Your innocence right. was stolen from you, and that arguably has everything to do with what happened. Yeah, 
How did I know that now? I didn't know it then. You know, you just think you're losing your mind. You're going crazy. Something has to be wrong with me. Um, it was, it was tough. It really was tough. And one of our mentors has told us, you know, since then we sat down in lots of therapy, lots of counseling, lots of accountability. And he said that mentally, it's one of the most traumatic things to do is to fall apart on a public stage. It's different than falling apart in private and not, you know, just maybe two or three, a handful of people know. But ours, you know, unfortunately was the number four story in the Christian news that year. And man, we got to do better. The church has got to do better at loving people and and really being who Jesus wants us to be. That's why he came. He didn't, the Bible says he didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. And we have done a terrible job at loving people who are so broken, who are, who don't get it right. You know, that's why we're here. Only, only the sick need a physician. And so it was hard. It was really, really hard, but I knew I was at a crossroads. I said, you know, I had my bikini and I had my margarita mix down pat. So, you know, I could have gone to Miami and sold margaritas on the beach. I could have done that. I could have done anything. I could have moved to Phoenix and been a realtor, you know, but I love Jesus. And I knew that his hand was on me. I knew he'd called me since a little girl. I knew I loved my husband and I wanted to do ministry, but he at that point was not willing to reconcile. And he um, told congregation publicly that, you know, he wasn't willing to reconcile. So at that point, I had no clue that God would ever use me again. I had no clue I'd ever be restored to my family. But my one prayer was, Lord, just fix me. God, I can do this. If you will just fix me, if you'll just dig down in there, I will partner with you on this healing journey so that you can fix me. But a month, about a month into it, though, I'm getting some breath back in my lungs and, you know, I'm getting some wisdom and understanding as to why I got to the place I was at. So I got real tenacious. I said, OK, God, now I know I said just fix me. I said, but now, God, I'm going to believe for my marriage. I'm digging my heels in and I'm going to fight for my marriage and my family. And I did. And I did what it took. I, I fasted. I prayed. I lost 23 pounds in 30 days. I mean, I was all in. But clearly you can see I'm healed today. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, gave, I got my weight back. <laughs> no, that wasn't what I was amening. That wasn't <laughs> at all. <laughs> but you, it's called fat and happy. Hey, I'm, I may be fat and happy too in the soul. You know, it, it just <laughs> looks like God has redeemed you. And what he did has. the whole process, you went to Living Waters out in North Carolina. I've, it was a big news story with Michelle Williams from Destiny yes. Shop. She also yes. went. It, what did that look like? So a lot of people are hearing living about Living Waters for the first time that are listening. And it's a retreat center therapy, yeah. uh, mental health. It's a take house. Care it's a house. Yeah. It literally is a home. They live there and they have, they built it like a, like a, a lodge yeah. and they have 10 bedrooms. And when you go on the weekend, uh, they have marriage retreats, women's retreats, men's retreats, and a healing the heart retreat. Uh, one every month. And so 
you go and you stay there and they cook for you. It's just like a home setting. And they really believe one of their philosophies is that you usually get hurt in a home. So you need to heal in a home. Man, it was so powerful. Literally. I mean, they come to you like they come to you like mom and dad. Mm. Wow. They stand in the gap like mom and dad. And it is one of the most powerful experiences that that anybody will ever have. It's so raw and it's so real. And I mean, thousands and thousands of people have gone through there, gone through that ministry. And that's where Michelle and I became friends was when she went there. And it's just a beautiful place to go. Yeah. And what did the conversations like, how did it look with getting back in touch with your husband and starting to patch those things up? It was ugly. It was so ugly for so long. It was nothing but arguments and whys and what about this and questioning and badgering. And, oh, it was dreadful. But when I really dug into believing God for my marriage, uh, Ron started experiencing a lot of wrestling with God, shall we say. God started really hammering him and I will never forget it. I had I had been writing our three children. We have three children. And I would write them a letter every day, all three of them, and mail it on the weekend, just telling them how much I loved them and what I'd learned that day and what God had shown me and, you know, telling them to believe God and never give up and don't listen to Daddy that we are believing for a miracle. <laughs> and so um, it was about two months into it and, he kept saying, no, he was not relenting. He was like, no, we're not going to work on our marriage. And I had gotten really, really discouraged that day. And so I went on a walk and I remember it's the first time in my life I had ever, ever, ever said these words. But I said, God, if you would just send a truck around this corner and just kill me right now, I just don't think I can do this anymore. It's too hard. And I looked down on this old asphalt country road. And there was a daisy popping up from a crack in the asphalt. And there was this bird that started flying out of the field. So beautiful. One of the most beautiful birds. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Hope, if I can take care of that flower, and if I can take care of that bird, how much more am I going to take care of you? And it's like fresh air came into me. And I turned around. I said, You are right. I cannot give up. So I turned around and started walking back to the house and Pastor Lee came walking toward me. He said, I've been looking for you. He said, Ron's called. And just my heart sank again. I was like, no, no, I just got this breath of fresh air and here we go again. So I went upstairs. I said, God, you got to help me. I don't know what this conversation is going to be about. And immediately he reminded me of the scripture that I'd read that morning about David wanting to go and buy the field so that he could offer up sacrifice to the Lord. And he went to the man who owned the field and he said, no, 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 you're the king here. You don't have to buy the field. I'm going to give you the field and I'm even going to give you the oxen to slaughter. And David said, I will not offer anything to the Lord that does not cost me. And I said, God, what are you saying? I've given you everything. I've lost everything. I have nothing. I have nothing else to give. I've done everything I know to do. And he 
he reminded me of the thousand dollars in my pocketbook is all the money I had to my name when I left the house that day, two months prior. And I was holding on to that like gold because that's all I had. Not that a thousand dollars was going to get me started in life, but to me, that's all I had. And I really felt that the Lord was asking me to give that thousand dollars to Lee and Denise. I was like, no, no, no. He said, you got to give it all. All the safety nets have got to be kicked out from under you. So I went down, told them what had happened. and I slid the money, you know, over to him. And I said, and I'm just believing for a miracle. So Ron calls and he says, hope. And I'm scared. I'm like, yes. He said, I just need to let you know. He said, I have wrestled with God all night long. And he told me to call you and tell you that I would not abandon you. Wow. Trevor, I did the ugly cry. I was like, ah, you did that bending down crying thing. And, and so Ron's like, no, 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 no. I don't know what this means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if we're getting back together or what. I said, I do. God's answered my prayer. I was praying for a miracle. And I got a miracle because I knew that if God starts a thing, he's already finished it. He's faithful to complete what he started. And I knew if God told him not to abandon me, that it was already in the plan of God for us to be restored. So that day started our restoration. It wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. It was traumatic. It was it was gut-wrenching. It was good days. It was horrible days. But that started our restoration. And that was in November, end of November. And in January, we had not told anybody that we had reconciled. And in January, we walked hand in hand back out on our stage. Nobody was expecting it. And listen, it was the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. It was like an NFL football. Somebody had scored, you know, and they were like screaming and yelling. You have no idea what that did to my heart. Because I had let them down. I had hurt them so much. But they were still there loving me. I'm telling you, that's Redemption's the greatest church I know. And they have been by our side since. If you think that was loud, could you imagine what was going on in heaven? <laughs> right? Right? It's just so powerful to hear, like, even with Ron, you know, I can't imagine, like, he felt betrayed. He felt like everything had fallen apart. And, I mean, you can picture begin to picture what was going on in his head. Like, I can't forgive her. Like nine years of that. No, like I barely right. need her anymore. But God redeemed and forgave. He worked within Ron yes. for those few months while you were gone. And for someone who may be wrestling with some of the things that you were wrestling with, the mental, the physical acts, etc. There's in all actuality, they're searching for healing in the wrong places. Somebody that may be going through their most beautiful disaster right now. What would you say to them? And especially if they can't afford um, therapy or help or anything like right, that. Right. Right. And that breaks start? my heart, breaks my heart so bad. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book is because, you know, most people can afford 22 or $25 where they can't afford 175 an hour. And yeah. I, I tried to make this book, not just my story, but the pathway to show people how to come out of addiction, come out of sin, come out of 
brokenness, come out of trauma, because, you know, the Bible says Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness. So there is a path of righteousness. And I believe he showed me that path in my year of of healing and restoration. Um, A lot of simple truths that that God used to take me out of darkness and in and into light I put in the book but you know Jesus David said and that only Jesus can satisfy the longings in our soul that's Psalm 107 and we're always going to all these other places trying to fill all these voids and it's only Jesus that can fill it And I would tell people who are listening to me that don't give up because if you don't fight, you don't win. You know, it's easy to feel like, okay, I'm just going to get out of this marriage or I'm just going to leave this job or I'm going to leave this state or I'm going to start over over here. But if you don't get the healing that you need, you're just changing addresses, but the same problem still going on on the inside. And yeah, it's hard work. It's not a one and done. It's not quick. But man, oh, what it produces, what it produces. I would not trade today what me and my husband have. I'd go through it again, as humiliating and as horrible as it was to have what we have today. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But man, it's really, really good. If you don't fight, you don't win. Oh, that's, yeah. that's a word all on its own. And right. That's my next how, book, Trevor. There we go. And I'm, I've already started writing. Come on. <laughs> and even to look at who you are today, like you've gone through everything and a, a good bit of people would put like the lid on the canister and be like, not going to open that again. Right. You've decided to open it up full scale in detail yeah. and tell the world yeah. because God redeemed you and he gave you that story. He gave you that second chance and you're honoring it. He did. And, and a lot you know, of, that's, that's yeah. why he brings us out so that, so that he can get the glory and so that we can help somebody else. That's what Genesis 50, 20 is all about. Joseph's story. When he looked at his brothers after all they'd done to him and they came back in the land of famine and he's the one in charge of giving out the grain. And he looks at them and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Do you, can we even wrap our brain around that in that whole situation that he could stand there and discern that what y'all meant for evil, God allowed it because he knew that I would have to stand right here today to be your deliverer. God used my traumatic experience so that I could turn around and help somebody else. That's what it's all about. So many people are struggling and going through what possibly could be their most beautiful disaster. What would be the first step for recovery in their shoes? I just believe truth is just so essential. You know, we, we don't want to admit we struggle for many, many reasons especially if we're in the church, you know, because we get talked about, we get judged. um, It's embarrassing. um, We let people down just for a plethora of reasons why we don't want to tell the truth. But even scripture says that only truth makes you free. Um, And and you've got to say it and you got to say it out of your mouth. And I would 
really urge people. I don't know why the church doesn't address mental health. I don't understand that when the Bible is chocked full of information about our mind. We focus so much on the spirit, the spirit. And yes, I'm all for it. I believe it 110%. But there's also natural things, too, that that we just eliminate. We just think everything has to happen at an altar experience. And I've seen many miracles happen at an altar. I love altar experiences. But just like, you know, we go to the doctor if we have a heart issue or we go to the doctor if we break our arm. Why don't we go to the doctor if our emotions are out of control or we suffer with anger or we're just bitter and unforgiving? You know, there's a lot of things. Our brain, One of the greatest revelations for me, Trevor, was this, is that my brain is an organ. Wow. It's an organ just like my heart, like my liver, like my kidneys that can fail just like them. Mm-hmm. And everything that has to do with how I think, feel and act happens in my brain, but we don't get any help for that. Yeah. We talked about that in detail with uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Who's yes. I love that lady. Cognitive neuroscientist. And now to hear it from you, like it's just all the most important. And here at Trevor talks, we talk a lot about mental health. Like my story in general is just really overcoming anxiety and depression to where I could step back out, be the person God created me to be. I had my beautiful disaster, um, having, going through a mental breakdown, stepping off stage, deleting all social media, like went and worked for AT&T for three years, bought a house, did all the things that look like the American dream, but it wasn't my calling at all. Right. And here we are in 2021 having this conversation right now. And I believe that so many people are going to receive healing from it. You were vulnerable and you open this can back up and you're like, look, I'm not going to shut this. God gave me this story. I'm just going to dump it out. Like that's right. Here it is. And so many people are going to find healing from it. Amen. It's back to like therapy and such. We Alexandra Thompson um, out of Atlanta has this mission that she wants to see a counseling center in every church in America, no matter how much much income is, no matter how much trauma they've experienced. She believes that every church, like we should be at the front lines of that. And I believe that so much. Yes. And And I I believe insurance should cover it. Yeah. And even like a lot of people can't afford health insurance now. Yeah. There's so many blocks and it's like, are y'all wanting people to die by suicide? Are you want like, not that it's intentional, but think about it. Like if politicians yeah. are listening to this right now, which I wouldn't be surprised. Hey, here's your not right. Right. Let's start some change and God's going to continue to move through you and your husband and just sharing the story of redemption. And he's giving you this story and who is more equipped to talk about this than someone who's been through it. Yeah. It's been a rough road. I tell you, it's a rough road. And I think that's one of the reasons people don't want to trudge down it. You know, it seems easier uh, to, to leave the marriage. It seems easier to just quit, but it's not because you never are dealing with the root. You'd never get to the root. Anytime there's a fruit, there's always a root. And so you got to get to those roots. Yeah. And as we're starting to wrap up here, what would your final message be to listeners that are struggling with mental health issues or struggling with infidelity or just things that seem negative right now too far? They feel too far gone. What's Hope Carpenter's message to them? I will just tell you the way Jesus treated me. 
you are so loved and you are so special right here in the middle of your mess. He could not love you anymore. There is nothing that you could do. You couldn't get fully well. You could not give everything you have to the poor and him love you more than he loves you right now in your mess, in your trauma. And don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. Yeah, the church lets us down. People let us down. But Jesus never, never, never lets you down. And don't judge people and don't judge the church and call it Jesus. Because, listen, he died for this. That's why he came. That's why he had to die. Is because we could never be good enough. Our righteousness, our good is just yucky and filthy and stinky old mop rags. But he loves you so much. And you know what? The scripture says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. That's just the thing. Get back up. Get back up. It doesn't matter what they say about you. They're messed up too. I always say this. I got issues. You got issues. All God's children's got issues. So, Just know today that you are so loved and so special and there's hope for you. As long as you have breath, as long as you are breathing, there is hope for you and it's found in Jesus. And and he definitely gave you hope. He stuck it in your name, but... Yeah, he did. (laughs) Little did I know. (laughs) Yeah, little did we know. Like God mapped that out before you even knew your name. So go on that. But Hope, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. And we're going to link your book um, below in the description. And where can people find you on social media? I have a website. It's hopecarpenter.com. On Instagram, it is pastorhope.carpenter. Facebook, Twitter, all the others are pastorhopec. So yeah, just link with me. In January, I'm starting a mentorship program. I'm pretty excited about that. And I, I teach Healing the Heart um, at our church, and you can join virtually. And it's it's very inexpensive. We have a women's conference every September. So I would just love to uh, get to know some of your people, some of your friends, and, and love on them. Our family's your family, Hope, and you're always welcome here. And I hope we get to do a follow-up discussion with your next book. But... Thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you for being you and keep spreading the hope. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in yet again. It's like, y'all just keep coming. And at first I was like, I don't know why they're coming. Then, you know, God's just moving and he's doing so many amazing things. So if you're in this family, thank you so much for tuning in week after week. This episode has been brought to you by New Release Today. We'll talk to you guys next week. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.